0: Mindset Athlete Podcast and I'm your host James Roberts. I'm a two-time Paralympian and owner of James Robert Fitness which is an online training nutrition and mindset coaching business. First of all I'd like to thank Lauren Williams for suggesting this quote to the show. An athlete is a mindset, it's how you prepare, think and execute. Not because of some elite status or physical stature. Anybody can be an athlete. By Chris Harth. And each week on the Mindset Athlete, we like to bring you inspirational athletes, a message, or experts talking about human optimization to teach you how to change your perception of your mindset and become one percent better. And on today's show, I've got Ellis Haggith. Ellis was diagnosed with acute lymphoblastic leukemia in 2013, age just 16. He underwent two, uh, three and a half years of daily chemotherapy and finished in 2016, age 19. He began his return to basketball and made his professional debut just under a year later and has been playing elite basketball ever, ever since. So welcome onto the show, Alice.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Oh, the pleasure is all mine. So obviously straight off the bat, Ellis, obviously I've known your yep. family for Probably since two thousand three, uh, with your dad uh, running that first event of Hoops Aid,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Can you give some context for the listeners of what it was like of having to deal with that disease? Because your family's quite sporty anyway. So, what was it? What was it? Quite was it? Kind of a shock.
1: Yeah. So, I'll take you back to the start, really. So we. Uh, like uh, there is no cancer within my family. There's no cancer within, um, you know, a- any way that we can realize. So to to hear that I had cancer or leukemia was complete shock. You know, we would expect it to be something else. So, you know, it 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 literally came out of the blue. I know with leukemia, it's not hereditary and it's completely random, which I didn't realize. To be honest, I thought you know most cancers are hereditary and all that kind of thing. So, I went from, uh, yeah, being a normal kid getting ready for my GCSEs. Um, you know, playing basketball every day, playing like all kinds of different sports. Really focused. You know, got my head down and looking forward to to cracking on for a good summer. You know, after my GCSEs and all that, I was prepared for it. And then within a week, um, my, my life got flipped upside down. Really. So, you know, with with my uh, type of leukemia, it happens really quick. It's not something that sits there. It's you're real and you know you're real. It's very obvious. Um, so for me, like they, they dated it to sort of four weeks. I went from you know, playing basketball in my normal National League and my county trials and all that to the day before, to the Wednesday, uh, we went and got checked up because I was very, very ill. Um, yes, yeah, so we went and got checked up, had a blood test. Then on the Thursday, they sent me into the hospital, my local hospital for more tests, found out all kinds of different problems and, you know, my liver and spleen were enlarged, my, you know, all the different sort of other issues that came along with it. They then transferred me to Adam Brooks, so the Teenage Cancer Trust ward, Um, on Friday who then did a bone marrow biopsy and then they gave me the the final diagnosis of leukaemia and you're undergoing three and a half years of chemotherapy so I literally went from being a normal kid focusing worrying about GCSEs basketball school that to three days later being told yeah you have cancer and you're going to undergo three and a half years of chemotherapy um, and come out at 19 so it was a bit obviously it was a complete shock complete surprise I never expected anything like this. To happen, you know, for it to just change almost overnight, it was it was unbelievable.
0: Were there bleak and dark days in that three and a half years? Then
1: was there dark days? Oh yeah. yeah. There, there's a ton ton of ups that I like take from it, and and like we'll all remember forever. Like I had some amazing experiences, amazing met some amazing people. Um, you know, I wouldn't be who I am today if I didn't have that part of my life. So I don't. Re- it's weird. I don't really regret it or or feel. not regrets the wrong word but I don't feel like why me poor me about it because you know it's 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 done a lot for me although there was a lot of dark times a lot of uh sad moments as it were you know there's some days that you know you don't know what's going to happen you know you might be touch and go certain things you know there's all sorts of different scenarios especially at the beginning first year of the, the treatment there was you know, it was test result after test result after test result, and it was, you know, constant worry of what's going to happen, what's this, you know. And as you go through the thing, uh, the, through the entire treatment course, it's all diff- it, it, it varies. It changes. You know, what what you're 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 focused on and what you're worried about. So yeah, don't get me wrong. There was a ton of downs and a ton of moments where I was, you know, feeling feeling you know upset, but. Everything going on, everything around you, you've got to push through and get through those parts because there was plenty of fun and plenty of good times. And you know, I feel like I enjoyed it for, you know, enjoyed my life as much as I could during that time. So yeah.
0: Did you for the, for those dark days, Alice? Did you ever think you'd just ever step foot back on the basketball court though?
1: So yeah. So that I that this was a very this was one of the hardest the first sort of obstacles I had to overcome because when I was diagnosed on the Saturday. Um, you know, they start telling you all this new information. They start telling me about the drugs that I'm going to have to be taking, the chemo, the steroids, the, you know, all the anti, they, you know, I was on like 30 tablets a day at one point. It was getting, you know, there's a lot of stuff going in my body. Um, and, you know, they, they have to tell you all the negatives and all the positives that come with these, these drugs. And one of them, is, um, my steroids, is, it, it really affects the joints. And so they said to me, they said, uh, yeah, just let you know, you have like a three in five chance of walking properly again, or never walking properly again or something like that. you just got to give you a heads up. And they said, the chances are you'll never play basketball. You never walk straight properly again, let alone play basketball. And that was just something I had to come to terms with. Now, I never truly believed that. I I was a very positive kind of person just naturally. And I thought, you know what, there's still two in five chance that I'll be absolutely fine. So... They said that, and it, and uh, I sort of not brushed it off, but I was like, you know what, if that's if that's what it is, that's what it is. You know, life is more important sometimes than than basketball and things like that. So that's just something I have to come to terms with. And then as my treatment went on, I then started focusing on, um, you know, rebuilding my body and getting back to sport because as I went from a treatment, obviously I met a lot of other people during my time on. Uh, in in hospital and a lot of had a few people that had the same illness and me as me, but they finished slightly earlier, a few months or or a year earlier. So I would see their sort of post-treatment problems as it were. And they all were having hip replacements. They were all having joint problems. So to me, it was like, Oh, this is becoming real. you know, they, you know, walking and basketball may not be an option, but for me, I was like, right, let's keep my head down focus on me. My joints were fine. They were monitoring my joints really carefully I was trying to stay as active as possible as I was allowed to because there was limits of what I could do um but yeah no there was definitely a worry that I would never be able to to do any sort of sport again um and uh, you know I found myself having to find different ways of keeping my competitive spirit you know picking up golf going to the gym things like that to try and maintain my body but yeah it was definitely a worry for me that you know the, the chances of me playing basketball again were very slim very slim and you know I don't think anyone's not many people have have managed to get back to sport competitively at a high level um, that that I've seen. You know, there's a few people that have done it. But I was, yes, yeah, so hearing all those stories, it was definitely a worry for me to think, oh, no, I might have to give up the, the sport, the game that I love. But, you know, um, I try to keep up my, my head up as much as possible.
0: And you think, would your dad been heavily involved in, obviously, that, that charity Hoops Aid, uh, be it in 2013... Fifteen, and I think they went on to, into a yearly cycle, yeah, there was a few and, in
1: a row, yeah, yeah, yeah
0: and do you think being being able to be very much involved in it from a from a spectator perspective because obviously your brothers were able to participate in it, do you think it still kept you close to the game that you loved
1: yeah, so I was um uh, for me during my treatment, I tried to think of things that really kept me going, like try to stay involved as much as possible and you know even when I finished my treatment I couldn't quite you know I was rebuilding my body so I wasn't allowed to play um, competitively yet there was a period of time where I had to sort of just regain my muscle mass and my my baseline and all that sort of thing so that was period I tried to just sort of involve myself as much as possible so for me during my treatment I was you know lucky enough I was linked with the Leicester Riders and, and my brother was playing up there with them and they were very good to me as far as they said you know, Rob Patton, also the head coach, was like, "If you want to come to the changing rooms whenever you want, let me know. Like, if there's any way you want to come watch a practice, or you know, they were very much, let's keep your head focused on, you know, basketball and and you know, as much as possible, do as much as you're allowed to do. We're here for you. They were they were very good to me like that. So they allowed me to sort of keep my enjoyment and my involvement in basketball. I had to go watch games as much as possible. I wasn't allowed to play and compete, which was really frustrating, especially when you're watching it. You know, for me, if I watch a sport, I have to play it." Um, they, you know, I, I did as much as possible. I started coaching a lot. Um, I used to coach my school team when I was still on treatment, but a bit, a bit better as a period of time I was okay and I could sort of get involved. So I, I used to coach the school team, things like that, just to try and keep my naturally very competitive spirit going. Um, you know, cause I'm not, I'm a bit of a fidget. I can't sit still. So for me doing a little bit was very important and keep, I just kind of kept my mind at focus of what was, ahead you know keep me busy keep the days ticking by and counting down the days till I finish my treatment so yeah I managed to 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 stay playing uh, stay doing a bit of basketball as far as coaching and, and staying involved with the professional team as well as you know picking up golf to keep my exercise going my actual competitive spirit which I still play now so that's trying to take from it Um as well as a few other things that I you know had things taken away from me but then I found alternatives to sort of Meet in the middle, so that's the way I dealt with it. You know, I found alternatives to, to put up with the stuff I wasn't allowed to do and the doors that were being closed.
0: So, what so you see, so see, you, you you raise a good point there, Alice, in terms of like the fidget, fidgety and not being able to sit still. Obviously, if we bring it to the modern day and obviously having to live through lockdown and a pandemic, how's that been for you the last 13 14 weeks?
1: <laughs> yeah, it's been interesting because it actually took me back to. You know, a little bit, it felt a bit like when I was back in, in when I first was diagnosed almost, because like when I was first diagnosed, I wasn't allowed out my my hospital room for like five weeks or something like that because of the high infection risk. Um, so I lived three and a half years of having to worry about infection my whole time. Like there was, my immune system was suppressed. That's the way they treat leukemias. They suppress your immune system for a significant period of time. And there was one point where, you know, my white blood cell count and my um, uh, my blood count was so low that I literally had zero, it went right Cell count was a zero point zero one or something like that. So there was literally nothing there. That's the idea. They just knock it down and pick it up. So for me, that was a constant period of of warriors. Uh, like, got a hand, I carried hand sanitizer wherever I went. I had a little bag that I carried that had a, a thermometer in it and it had all sorts of different gizmos in it that helped me. If I've got an infection, I'd have to get to hospital quick. So for me, for me, it's like going through those three months was almost like right, stay away from people. You know, avoid people, and then also you're not allowed to go anywhere. So I was just like, I was kind of used to it in a way. And the fact that I've already done it, I was new ways of occupying myself. Um, you know, the way I dealt with it this time, the difference was I was actually healthy. I was in good physical fitness. So I just, you know, set myself some goals because I think that's the most important to, to get through any adversity is setting some goals like I did before, small ones and big ones. And, you know, um, for me, I used this time to sort of, uh, gain some, you know, get some sort of workouts and, Get some physicality in me, put some size on, you know, that sort of thing. I, I set those targets of how much weight do I want to put on and how much muscle do I want to put on, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. Um, and then slowly started reaching them week by week. So that was the way I coped with it. It was literally, let's set some targets, let's learn something new, let's, you know, do something and make the most out of this three months I've got off, um, so I can come out of it, a, you know, a better person for it. So that's for me how I dealt with all my adversity really is just set, set decent targets, set these good goals, and then if you don't reach them, set another one. If you do reach it, great. Use that to benefit the next one. You know what I mean. So, you know, it I had I was constantly setting goals during my treatment, even little ones. Even if it was one of them was to get to my prom, one of them was to go to my last day of school. My driving test had all these set out, and that meant that I had something to focus on and not worry about my my treatment plan that was going on. You know, my wife, my life wasn't already a worry. Let's focus on the future, and then that made me focus ahead of what were the the terrible things that were going on all around me. So yeah, that was how I sort of dealt with it mainly.
0: So how are you coping when I'm in basketball? You missing it or it's kind of Oh
1: no, yeah, I'm really missing it. You know, especially now I'm seeing everyone get back and this football get back, I'm like just itching to sort of you know, I haven't other than that three and a half when that three and a half years was going on, I was like, right, I wasn't allowed to play basketball, so it was a bit uh, it was easy to deal with. Whereas now I'm thinking, I'm allowed to play, I wanna play, I'm ready, I wanna get the season going again, you know, season was cut short there's a lot of uncertainty about where is it going to start in September or October or January. There's no one really knows. So I'm just waiting for, you know, the, the positive news of the go ahead. We can get back in sports halls at the end of this month, hopefully, and then uh, start sort of knocking down a bit, but you know, we're dreading the as much as I've tried to stay in shape is it's impossible to stay in match fitness unless you're actually playing basketball. So it's going to be a good fun when everyone's trying to play again and no one's played for like three or four months, whatever it's been. So, yeah, I'm itching to get back. I can't wait. I'm sitting here and just thinking about it. <laughs> you
0: have you seen some of the uh, videos that are going viral of of people in the US with the air ball and things and, and oh obviously.
1: yeah, 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 <laughs> saying it's going to be us when we come back. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not looking forward to that that first session back, but I also can't wait to get started again. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, me being a shooter as well. That's what I live off. So hopefully, I uh, <laughs> it's not I've lost it too much, but no, it should be it should be okay. You never forget, really. I don't think.
0: So what was what was obviously t- 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 coming back to, to to the past now, LS? What was the transition like from going from obviously becoming being put in, not being put into being, obviously getting into remission, and then obviously progressing into to to, to getting into basketball? Yeah, gradually? so
1: this this was a very big sort of like a really uh, difficult phase as far as it's. I was, I did it really like harshly on myself. Like, I just went like, let's just do it. Let's just get back to it. There was no like give myself three months or six months, whatever, like, which is fine. People like everyone can do it their own way. This is not me saying it's the right way to do it. But for me, I finished my treatment um, at the end of July, July 25th. And then I had already set myself to go to uni in September. So, and that was ready for me to move out, move in and start, start my life again almost, which it, it was very quick. Don't get me wrong. Like I felt it was like, a, I was very nervous about that. worried. It was a concern for me, but um, it was definitely the right thing for me to do. So all I did was I literally finished my treatment and they don't wean you off or anything. There's no like, um, uh, like gradual decrease in, in your support. You literally, you go from right, taking tablets one day and chemo one day to then the next day you stop and you stop for good. It's like a really abrupt finish. Now the support's there. Don't get me wrong. I'm not mocking the, the system or anything. They're, it's all there if you need it. But I just literally went from one day taking drugs to stopping the next, and then focusing on what's next. Do you know what I mean? I completely just switched off, which is it's tough because when you're in when you're in, in hospital, when you're you're dealing with cancer or or something a similar sort of adversity, you get put into like almost like a bubble, like a they knew more about me than I did. They were in constant checking my body. They were constantly uh, like on top of everything. They were looking after my, you know, making my decisions for me almost. So then to suddenly be told you're free was quite a daunting and scary moment. It was almost like, Oh God, i don't done what to do with myself. Like, am I allowed to do these things? I I can do them, but I feel like I shouldn't. It was like a really odd phase for me. And then when I started to get back to, to exercise and they said, right, you, you you can start building yourself back up again. It was like, the worry was how much can I do? No one knew. I, I contacted a lot of um, sort of ex- well, I say experts, but people have tried to do it before and you know been through similar sort of things, and it, they were all giving me different advice. And it was like I don't know. It, it was almost like a, a, a testing phase for me. It was I do don't do too much. My consultants are saying do do more to push yourself, but don't do too much to where you you wear yourself out. But then it's like how how do you know where that line is? How do I know how hard to push myself? I don't know. I'm naturally the sort of person that's quite driven, so I'll go as hard as I can and then, re, you know, suffer later. But, so I was really trying to control my, my workouts and trying to work out a way of how do I go from, I I didn't, hadn't ran, like actually gone for a run in three and a half years. I don't, like I'd done no sort of cardiovascular exercise and then suddenly to say, right, you can now go for a run. It was It was quite scary, so... I found myself in a position where I, was like, I don't really know what to do. No one can really give me advice. So the SSC, I came to Loughborough, there was an SSC coach here and, and the coaches here, now they were very good to me. They helped me build me back up and get me going, but it was, even they weren't a hundred percent sure of how much to, to push me. Do you know what I mean? So that was just down and left to my own devices. And I slowly just did bit by bit push myself. Sometimes I did push myself a bit too hard. I'm not going to lie. And I felt a bit funny afterwards, but you know, I'd wake up the next day ready to go and, I treated that with exercise. I just slowly built myself up. I also did that with life as well because there's a lot of fatigue. I don't know if many people have heard this with cancer is is a big issue. Um, and you know, chemotherapy naturally it it beats your body up for as long as you're on it. So it does take its toll. But for me, fatigue was a was a massive issue. But I can now say I don't have any sort of there is nothing that that cancer holds over me anymore. Do you know what I mean? Fatigue's gone. My Joints are fine, my veins are back to normal, which are all big issues in the cancer industry, as it were. But yeah, I, I took it as I'm going to be, I'm going to be, I'm out of shape for life. I can't deal with life at the minute. I've lived a, a very molly cuddled and cuddled life. It's time to now build myself back up and get back into it. So for me, I started off, I didn't do a full uni schedule. I did a half days, one lecture here, one lecture there. My uni were very good and they understood and gave me support and things like that. Um, but yeah, they, I was doing one lecture here, one lecture there. And I'd, I'd get up, go to the lecture, come home and go back to bed for two, three hours. It was like that sort of intense. And then by Christmas, I was doing half days. And then by the end of the year, I was doing my full week schedule. And it used to naturally build it up. But I feel like people, you know, not, not everyone there is problems with it, but a lot of people make excuses for things that are natural, like a, a normal person would get tired at the end of a week a normal person would go through their whole whole day's work and be absolutely knackered that's just the way we are but because i had cancer i was told i'm, I'm tired after doing a day's worth of uni they say oh, it must be because of fatigue and i'm like and then i immediately was oh, okay that makes sense and makes so much sense but actually when you think about it is it that or is it just i'm um, back to normal and i'm allowed to be tired sometimes you know what i mean so i i sort of took that approach to it and i was very much right let's just get on with life let's understand some things i can't do but at the end of the day, I'm going to be able to do them in a few months' time and just give myself some time, patience, and do it at my speed, which is obviously different to everyone else. So, yeah, I naturally just took myself step by step, set myself goals again and said, I'm going to be doing this by Christmas. I'm going to start going clubbing by this. It little things, like at, minor to most people, but to me they were big steps. I hadn't gone clubbing or gone to a nightclub since, you know, I was 18. I wasn't allowed to go. So I got to uni and the first time I ever went out was at uni. So that was a big step, you know, I just took it. Little thing by by little thing, and then suddenly by by a year's time, I was completely back to normal. Um, you know, I'm playing basketball again fully. It was quite it was quite quick to be honest.
0: And out of curiosity, obviously for the listeners as well, what did you yeah. study?
1: Um, so I studied um, basically business and sport management. Yeah, at Loughborough University. So it's got a fancy title to it, but that's basically what it is.
0: What What was the plans for doing utilizing that degree? Then go into the I'll be harsh and I'll ask the question <laughs> I hate and probably most people hate in, 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 in career path. where do you see yourself with that in five years time
1: or, so, or yes, down the line
0: after basketball? Cause obviously you yes, want to put that yes,
1: first. Yeah. So, so for me, um, I'm in a position where, you know, I'm going to try and take basketball as far as it will go. Um, I'm understanding like, I, I don't know how long my body will last. I have no idea. Same way everyone else doesn't, but you know, my body going through what it's been through, I'm sure it would have had some sort of toll. But for now, it's fun. So I'm going to take basketball as far as I can, enjoy it on every step of the way. Um, but at the same time, I also want to set myself up a little bit. So I'm, to, I'm a very business orientated kind of person. So I'm looking to go into those sort of industries. But I also love sports. So I might try and go into a sort of find a role within business that also incorporates some sort of sporting activity as well. So that's the position I'm in now is work out basketball, and then also work out exactly what sort of career path I want to take with that and sort of hopefully keep both aligned, as it were. But yeah it's uh I'm not 100% sure but I'm not too worried about it. I'm just enjoying enjoying what I, what I've got right now and then we'll see after all this pandemic's a bit calm down and then go from there really so yeah I could no, it's a bit of a cop out answer but <laughs>
0: well it's I think I think everybody would give you grace with that because ultimately obviously tomorrow is not given and and you've lived yeah. with that anyway but I think don't you know we're coming or going uh, in terms of the world at the moment so i think people will give you it's not a cop-out because ultimately most people aren't planning that far ahead because yeah yeah you 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 you, you, you kind of apprehensive to to think that far long term more than maybe i don't know maybe a few months in advance at the moment
1: that's definitely like that's one of the main things it's taught me is literally just enjoy yourself really like um I'm very much a person that, you know, there's – you plan for the future. Don't get me wrong. there's Don't be silly and, you know, don't save for the future or anything like that. But at the same time, you know, if you want to do something, go do it. Do you know what I mean? There's no – you know, like, I didn't just come to uni for my degree. I didn't uh, – that was almost a second, you know, like, I uh, just a bonus to the reason why I was coming. I came to uni to restart my life almost. And, you know, a lot of people told me to take a year out and, you know, give yourself some time and thought, nah, let's, let's just get – get going, get on with it and get back to the normal as quick as possible. So that like, and then get a degree on alongside of it. So yeah, for me, it was a case of time to pick up where I left off and, and move on with your life. And cause I'll never forget about it. I never, I will never like not be, not be open about that big section of my life. But at the same time, I don't introduce myself as Ellis with, with I've had cancer. A lot of like, my uni class didn't find out I had cancer until Christmas. They had no idea. And they only I only found out because they started asking me questions and it was like, do I lie or do I tell them the truth? And obviously I was just telling them the truth. But by then they knew me as Ellis. They didn't know me as Ellis. Oh, the kid that had cancer six months ago. You know what I mean? So for me, and that made a big difference. They just treated me as a normal kid, as a friend, instead of, oh, I'm going to be feel sorry for him. You know what I mean? Which is a complete natural reaction. Even I do it. You know what I mean? You know, you tell someone you got cancer, they go, oh, I feel for you. You know what I mean? I do that now. So it's not... It's completely natural to, to to react like that. But that's what I didn't want. I didn't want that sympathy. I really wanted to just be known as me and not my past. So, yeah, that was, that was a, you know, something that's taught me is just literally do what you want to do and then work out the future as you go along. I, I think that's quite an important thing to do.
0: So let me ask you this then, Alice. Mm-hmm. Why do you pick Loughborough University? Because like you and I know, and most people who are very, very good at sport, no, I'm not going to bash Bath, but it has got a yeah, reputation well, as being yeah, a, sport, yeah. a sport university. Bath's not lot, not that far behind. But to hear you to hear you speak and say, obviously, you wanted to get your life back on track. Why did you pick that university over any others?
1: So for, I actually had no other choices. Really, it was Loughborough or, or nothing for me. Um, there's many many different reasons to be honest. So. First of all, was my brother went to Loughborough Uni. Um, he was already there when I was diagnosed. He was living that life, and you know, so I sort of had my connections and knew a few people here and and all that. Um, and I also knew Leicester Riders, and you know, the their GM Russell. Um, I was very you know I was close to have known him since I was young, and then uh, Mark, the head coach, also was in touch with a little bit. And it was and Rob, the head coach of the Riders. So all this sort of big uh, family was already there. Basically, I knew some of the fans of the Riders. I knew you know, different things. The, the uni were very, um, supportive. They gave me an unconditional straightway. So that pressure was off and, you know, it was, all, they were all very like almost prepared for me to come in a weird way. Um, so it was no, no question. I was ready to go there. I was thinking about going to Charlwood when I was 16. Um, so that was, that, you know, I was going to join that pathway anyways. That was an option for me. Um, but obviously I stopped playing. So that changed. So I was just kind of thinking right from when I was first diagnosed, my plan was to go to Loughborough. I was already set. So, you know, as soon as I could just jump back in. When I as soon as I was diagnosed, they said, Look, deal with your illness, we'll pick up your basketball in three years' time and we'll fix that for you. Like there was no they were very supportive the whole way through. And then as soon as I joined the programme, they were I was put under the SNC coach and, you know, I did a few sessions with Mark. And then um my other good friend and co- a coach there, Ash Crookson he was a massive support to me, getting me back playing. He got me back in and playing with his team. Just a lo- little bit, you know, monitored my Exercise and then finally Liam Jefferson was my final coach that jumped in and sort of took me. My first season back was under him. So yeah, it was all set. Everyone played their part and you know, you know, I owe my basketball to to all of them really. Um, you know, because without them, I I don't know how quickly or if I would have got back to basketball where I have. So yeah, that was the facilities and everything was here. There was no question, you know, to get back to basketball. This was the place to be.
0: Do you think, do you, do you think then that you, do you owe them loyalty a little bit based on.? Um,
1: yeah, of, of course. Like, I've always, like, it's like a family here. Um, like, the environment, and if anyone came and spoke to me, regardless of my, my what they've done for me or anything like that, the environment around is very family oriented. Everyone does everything. Even outside of basketball, Loughborough is a very family oriented place. Um, you know, everyone feels like they know everyone. It's really, it's a weird environment to be in. But no, I will always have the Riders and, and Loughborough Uni and everyone involved Mark Lee and Russell, Rob everyone they've always played a special place in in me in my heart in my basketball I, um, I owe them a lot really so you know um, they will always have some sort of some loyalty and always do, you know I've, I've tried to help out as much as possible already through coaching and and sort of awareness and things like that so yeah they will always have some sort of special place in my heart you know <laughs> if that makes sense <laughs>
0: Do you see? Do you see yourself staying at that one club? Be like a more like a footballer and, and okay of old, obviously because it's, uh, nowadays that doesn't exist. But be it staying at one club,
1: not or, necessarily. Not, not not that's not really because that's hard to do, in, especially with us. We you know uni finishes, then you've got, you know, and then I've got my sort of horizons above me. So I wouldn't say I necessarily need to stay at one one place or anything like that. Like I, I'm already moving about a little bit, um, but I'll always have. A loyalty towards the right like I'd always help the riders no matter who I play for I will always be be around to help wherever is needed you know um that's that's without question you know I'll always if any of the coaches or anyone asked me to come in and help or or do this for them you know I'd always you know do it without you without even thinking about it and I know they would do the same for me I could ring any of them now and say got any advice can you help me with this can you do this can you work me out and I'm, sh- I'm sure without a question they would they would help me so that's what I mean one once you're done here, there's no animosity. There's no, root, like, uh, remorse. It's literally we've done our bit. Move on. Hopefully, you'll come back in the future. You know what I mean? So, they're very good like that. It's, there's no sort of hard feelings when you if you do decide to take take somewhere else. Because at the end of the day, business basketball is a sport and a business. So, sometimes if if something else is a better opportunity somewhere else, then you've got to take that for yourself. And, and, and likewise, they would. So.
0: And do you think the the coming back to the point that I'm that I mentioned before, you know, the loyalty, the integrity, is that something that is obviously to the root cause and very much of what you've learned from your your father and obviously your mother?
1: Oh yeah, 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 for sure. Like I know, going through the whole journey, there's you you meet a lot of people. You have a lot of people coming in at your lives. A lot of people, funny enough, would would help me a lot at the beginning would text me a lot asking if I'm okay and all that and as soon as I'm fine again or a little bit not even finished treatment as soon as I was a bit out of the worst bit they disappeared and it was like what was the reason were you, were you being there for me was it because it was for you for me and it you know people do things for themselves which sounds a lot of this sounds strange to a lot of people but uh, you know people will come in at your life for themselves Um, you know check up on your just so they can say they've done it. Do you know what I mean? Which is, it sounds horrible to say, but, and people might not be doing it intentionally. That's, this is isn't a, a dig at anyone. It's just a case of sometimes that might people do that. So for me, it really show, highlighted who my true friends were, brought my family really close together, brought, you know, you know, people, some, a lot of people stepped up. I had so many people I did not expect to be as good as they were, really step up and make a big toll in my life and real difference to me, physically mentally um you know because all these challenges were coming and you know they really helped me take pressure off a lot of the schools and people involved in my teens, and all that really took pressure off so yeah I, I was shown a lot of loyalty as well as you know time for me to show my loyalty as well so and that doesn't have to be shown in in necessarily staying in one place or you know staying in contact as much as you want it's just a case of they know I'm here when they need it and likewise I know they're there when they need me so or when I need them so yeah, that's that for me. Is is what this loyalty is all about. You don't need to necessarily be in touch with them twenty four seven, but when when crisis hits, you know who who will step up and help you.
0: And then obviously coming back to to the to the uh, of you now being in elite basketball, did you think in your wildest dreams you'd ever get to that? Being
1: oh, from man. where you
0: were three and a half years ago.
1: So for me, it was like. I, I had the dreams of playing professional basketball when I was a kid, as most young athletes have their professional dream. And I was put on a position where they were telling me all these things about me and the possibility of me not walking and all this sort of stuff. And for me, I was just grateful to be able to pick basketball back up again, to be honest. Um, you know, whether that be at, at, at just shooting around on my own to local league level or anything, just to really be able to to, to compete again was was sort of the goal. And then as I as I started uh, building myself up and, you know, after my first season went by and all this sort of stuff and I started feeling good and it all just started flowing back a little bit and, you know, my body started feeling stronger and let, um, I wasn't as fatigued as all the time. And, you know, I could then set new goals and I was like, oh, wait, I can actually still play a little bit. I've still, I might have taken four, year, like I went four years or whatever, it was three and a half years without touching a basketball. I was thinking, oh, it's not going to be there. It's, I have no hope. But actually... Once I got into it, it started flowing back. My mind was still focused on the game. My IQ was still there. Um, it was just a case of catching my body up now. It was like, it was a weird sensation. My mind was thinking one thing, but my body couldn't do it. Um, it, was, it was really odd. Like I couldn't keep up. But then I slowly, as my body got stronger and stronger, I started competing. And I was playing in the second team, my first sort of half a year, year. Um, and then, you know, I arrived and I thought, you know, I'm going to make this team. And then I got cut and then I was sort of, I wasn't quite there. I wasn't even on the second team level. I got cut below. Um, and I was like, oh God, you know, that was another hit. And I was like, no, this is all right. It just this separate I playing at that level, getting good minutes and things like that. And then by, by Christmas, so a couple of months, he then brought me back up and was like, all right, you're ready to go. And then he stuck with me and was coaching. This is, this was Liam. He was sort of coaching me through it. Like sort of almost on a personal basis. He would pull me aside and help me out. Um, and, you know, before, by the end of that year, I was ready to go and, you know, made made a debut for the riders, and it was all like it. It just sort of clicked into gear, and it kept going and going and building and strength by strength. And then by the end of that year, Mark, the first team coach, was like, "Right, yeah, you're coming in." Um, and then I was in preseason, ready to go. So it was literally this space of a year. I just was caught up in a rapid time. It was. I was not expect. I had no. I, I thought it'd take me two, three years to get to any sort of decent level, but actually, it took me you know three, four, five, six months of playing. Competitive basketball to really for it all to sort of funnel back in. It was, it was, was oh, you even know, I was shocked it was that quick, but you know, with all the snc and all that, my body did catch up pretty quickly. And it, to be honest, it still is catching up, but it's at a level now where I'm, I can compete and enjoy my basketball at a high level, which was, which was amazing, really. And I just, it just keeps me optimistic about what's coming next in the future if I keep going the way I'm going. Do you know what I mean?
0: And do you think having overcome adversity as you have done, it set you? up nicely to deal with the professionalism of basketball because that's that's nothing compared to life
1: yeah professional sport elite level sport um sport in general to be honest is pretty brutal um if you're playing an adult level um above sort of the fun leagues you're going to be facing some sort of disappointment some sort of adversity and it, it could be any level it could be losing a cup final it could be getting cut from a team it could be not playing in as many minutes as you want or anything like that um which in my journey i had to face a lot of There was, you know tons of i had to sort of earn my my stripes as it were um so for me it was having been you know learning how to deal with the adversity in the past um and that is i do think it's a it's a skill almost to sort of understand that you know this is this is not good at the moment but there you know you've got to be strong through it and build you through it and As I went through my treatment, I got much better and better at that. You know, there was things would come and I'd be like, oh, that's that's not good. But then, wait, hold on, calm down, focus. What can we do to fix it? So for me, it was a case of take the adversity on, don't let it define you, and you've got to then work out a way of overcoming it. Because for me, like every negative has a positive. You just have to find it somewhere. And for me, it was a case of, right, what's the problem? How are we going to fix it? Not what's the problem? Poor me. This is my problem and telling everyone that it was right, let's let's fix it. You know, when I was diagnosed, it was I sat down, he told me, This is what you've got, this is your treatment plan. Have you got any questions? I said, Not really. When do we start? And then that was it. You know, it was this is how we get this is the problem, this is how we're gonna fix it, and when are we gonna start fixing it? Was that that was literally the only there was no tears involved when I was diagnosed. It was really a weird situation. It was like really abrupt and it was yeah, it was like, if you have any questions, let me know. But I didn't. It was this is a problem, you, let's
0: go fix it. Do you think that's because of an a- athletic mindset that you have and, and, and to give some yes. context to others? Do you think, because you're thinking more on logic versus emotion, you're obviously more, let's get to the outcome and the result.
1: Yeah, see, this is the, the interest. So my consultants and, and nurses and people that are closely involved in my treatment were very... In, interested in my approach my approach to the whole thing was completely different to anyone they've ever seen I was very like weirdly optimistic like they'd come and give me something I'd thank them for it they would tell me this is you know you have a one in so chance of this happening blah, blah. And, but you know I probably probably won't you know what I mean like it was it, I, everyone would comment on it and that was just a natural thing for me um which is obviously just a natural like that wasn't just sport that helped that but for me definitely because I grew up playing sport and I was playing to quite a high level before my, my illness. And, you know, I've been, I've been training every day. I had, you know, quite, you know, not brutal coaches, but coaches that taught you to be thick skinned and, and, you know, don't let, don't be too soft almost, which is, is quite a, a hard thing to do. But, you know, that really did show me that, you know, you've got to push through certain things and you've got to fight for it. And it, you know, it, you've got to set yourself targets. You know, that was a sporting mentality that was taking me from, you know, this is what I want in sport, you know, this is what my targets are, I want to be a, you know, when you're kids, you want to be an NBA player, you want to be a, a professional athlete, you want this, and you've got all these big, you want to go to America, all these big dreams, and that is, that's what, like, athlete, most kids have, and that's what you've got to really keep going, is when I, although bus was taken away from me, I've then got to think, right, what do I want, what do I want out of life, what do do you know what I mean, it was, and that was, again, naturally from my athletic point of view, and you know, throughout my treatment, I was always trying to stay as fit as possible as on the exercise bike that they said was never used. There's an exercise bike on the hospital, in the hospital. It's never used. I was the first person, it was open a year and then I touched it. And I was like, why not? I'm being told what to do to fix it. I said to them, what do I, what, what will benefit me? And they said a little bit of exercise, keep moving, take your drugs. Cause funny enough, Getting kids, getting teenagers and, and people to take their to drugs is apparently a really difficult thing to do, which I was absolutely shocked at. Like I never missed a tablet. I never, I was very regimented with my, with my life. Um, they had to measure my water intake. So I marked down every cup of water I had um, on a bit of paper so they knew exactly what was going in and out of my body. Um, you know, it was very structured and that was, I think solely from my basketball. I was told something and I went out and did it. Do you know what I mean? Um, which Which is a very even they were shocked at how structured they were. they had a physio come into my room. I asked for a physio to come and help me out with some bed exercises and things like that. so you know that really helped me structure my life. I naturally structured my life and naturally focused and took it really seriously, although um you know that that was sort of drilled into me from when I was a kid because i 've been playing sports since that's as long as I can remember so that that 's what they almost focused on was where have I got this mentality from? why am I doing so well? because I did, in, in my art, like I did breeze through it as much as possible. I didn't really have too many complications as far as, you know, reacting to the drugs or anything to do with my Hickman line that I had in my chest or anything like that. It was, um, you know, I managed to sort of breeze through it. And I'm a strong believer of a mind over matter. For me, if it, it your mind has so much control over your body, I think, that if you – are negative about it then you know the it can have negative effects on your body and that's just something i believe in you know if you stay positive and you can get more positive results it's like sending positive messages out to the air almost so that's that's what I, i have a strong belief in that and i think that's part of the reason why i did so well was i was very positive about the whole situation Why I'm
0: looking down to give you some contact, Alice, yeah. so I don't get the person's surname wrong. Um, and, and to give some context, obviously what you said, and to be able to relate it back to another episode I did with, um, obviously Plymouth Raiders, uh, what's his job title? Sports therapist, Alec mm-hmm. Yeah. What he was relating to when he worked with, obviously his guys down there in the South East, you've gone up against, uh, of, over the season of, up until lockdown. If he put a exercise to get them to do in the gym and could show the guys the tangibles from a performance standpoint, they bought in. Yeah. So where you're coming from that the health professionals were very surprised is you're looking at it performance perspective. Yeah. If these yeah. are the tangibles I need to do to get me to get better, yeah. what do I need to do?
1: Yeah, it, it's completely that, and you don't realise because I'm I've grown up in the sporting bubble and the mentality. If there's an injury, most people will get on and do the thing, the rehab, and the, and the and the, the things that come with it, the or the icing or the or whatever it is. Um, they'll they'll get on and do it because they know this is what they need to do to get back on court or get back on the pitch or whatever the the sport is. But you go out into the real world and you realise people don't have that mindset. It, you you sort of have a I had a big culture shock and I was thinking my mindset is completely different to all these other people, all these other teenagers and that is because I've grown up in an environment where you're 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 drilled and said, Do you want to be the best you can be? Yes or no. Do you want to be a professional athlete? Yes or no? You know, the answer is yes, this is what you've got to do. This is what you've got to this is you know, my, my dad sat me down when I was about twelve, thirteen and said, What do you want to be? You want, I said professional athlete. And he said, you've got to pick a sport soon because you've got to start focusing and knuckling down and really grafting at that craft to become an elite athlete because there's only a small percentage of people that can reach the top. And those small percentages are the ones that work the hardest. It's as simple as that. Everyone's, everyone gets to a point where talent takes you so far and it's down to who can put the most work in. And it happens, it's the same in life. You know, you get to the top of a big business because you put, put the work in. And you don't realise the difference until you get into a scenario where I almost laughed at my doctor because he asked me if I was going to take my drugs. I was like, wait, hold on. My life's at risk and I'm not going to take my chemotherapy. Like it, to me, it was just, it was like ridiculous. I was like, "What? Well, is, is seriously people not going to take drugs and put risk their life. And they're like, yeah, it's the same way. If you go on antibiotics, 90% of people probably don't finish the course they're given. And I'm just like, but the doctor's giving you the course of seven days 10 days but they think oh i'm gonna stop it on on a friday or you know i don't need the extra two days i feel okay There's you know there's a reason why you've been given all this treatment all that treatment for me that's just black and white I, I just can't see anything. i'm being told by a professional by an expert what to do i'm going to do it there's no i'm not going to try and question it you know what i mean i'll find out why but you've got to really like it's the same with everything for me. And it's, I even had people come to, you know, I spent the first sort of few months, I didn't want to meet anyone. I didn't want to talk to any other teenagers and any other kids. And people were getting funny with me. Like, why are you not, why are you not interacting with other people in a similar position? Do you not want to like share your story and things like that? And I, at the time I was like, no, because they, all they do is feed me negative information. They say, Oh, I had this problem. Oh, I had that drug once. And it nearly, my arm nearly fell off. I don't know. Uh, whatever it is. You know what I mean? Uh, there are a lot of Hickman lines that people used to say they had problems, which was a big line that goes into sort of your heart, I think. And it comes. they said you, people told me they used to pull it out in their sleeve, And I was like, I don't want to know none of this. Like, if I don't know about it, I don't think about it. So, um, you know, I, I've really struggled. So I just said I'll avoid all contact with other people. I want to stay in my own zone. I want to stay in my focus and deal with this myself. Do you know what I mean? I want to focus on myself and don't want anyone to sort of – distract me from my from my goal really which was to get healthy and strong again so and then when when I've got after the first year and I got a bit healthier and I was sort of over the worst of it then I started interacting with people and started making friends and you know I did enjoy my did enjoy my time with them and because I was over the worst of it I didn't really didn't really affect me mentally Um, and they were telling me all sorts of things that I didn't want to know but half of it had a solution this was the problem I had was a lot of them said, Oh, my veins are bad. My vein, you know, which naturally your, your, I think your, your veins thin or something. It's all confusing, but um, the chemo obviously takes a toll on your body. And I said, why, why are you, Um, they're, they're sorry, they're moaning about the veins. I said, I had the worst veins ever. It took them like six, seven attempts to get a cannula in once because they couldn't see any veins. And, but now mine are better than anywhere before. And I said to them, all it took was me to go to the gym. I just went to the gym for, for six, six weeks or so. And they popped back out again and they're back to not. It's because I wasn't doing it, partly because I wasn't doing any exercise was part of the reason. And they said, Oh, I tried to go to the gym, I've done that, you know, that didn't work. Well, they went to the gym once and it's not that's not part of the, you know, the thing. They people like the sympathy. And I think you've got to really if you want some results out of something, if you want your veins back, you've got to start you've got to set yourself a program, set yourself a goal, and stick to it. But that's a very hard thing for people to do um that don't have this mindset of Getting what they want to get to where they want to get to. Do you know what I mean? In something, something that they don't necessarily love to do.
0: Okay, I was debating whether or not to put this in or not, but I'll, I'll, based on what you, you, you're going with, I'll, Go I'll, I'll do it. Obviously, we've got bullying in in sport come come to light in British gymnastics. Yeah, obviously, it's your opinion, and you're entitled to that, and I respect that. What What is your take on bullying in sport um, and, and do you deem it obviously it's a gray area and, and I, I won't dis-, 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 dis dispute that
1: yeah so yeah it's it's a tough one really because at the end of the day sport is a business um you know especially elite level sport you need to get Results at the end of the day, you need performances out of your team, out of your individual out of whatever the sport may be, so at the end of the, at some in some situations, yes, the coach uh, or the trainer needs to be a bit harsh, a bit brutal on their athletes to get the best out of them now there's many times where I'm like, oh, I can't be bothered to do my bleak test or whatever you know and then it's down to someone to sort of incur you know get you doing it now that could be seen to a lot of normal people as bullying because I don't want to do something, but I'm being made to do it so to someone that's not in my environment and is not used to the 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 competitiveness and the toughness of elites what that does appear to be bullying however in the other you know if i'm getting you know mistreated to someone else on my team unfairly that then you might have an argument to do with that like that you know you don't want someone picking on you based on non-performance related issues if that makes sense a lot of a lot of coaches will have favorites and naturally will gravitate towards people and treat people different, but not based on performance. That's where the grey area, I think, lies is you don't want to be treated differently based on something that isn't related to your sport, if that makes sense. Like, you know, some coaches have different takes on it. Some people will take things differently. And I think it's down to the coach to understand your athlete for one is some athletes will not respond well to getting shouted at. That. Whereas they will respond really well to a bit of encouragement, a bit of, you know, constructive criticism, ways, someone will react well to getting shouted at and the head blown off. So yeah, it's, it is a, tr- it's that hazy area of what is okay as far as just get the best out of your team and your performance. Cause at the end of the day, it's their job as well. They're, you know, it's a coaches, the coach doesn't get results. They get sacked and that's not always down to them which is so they're in a they're in a harsh environment themselves and so they're put under pressure to get results and it's all a big spiral i think so yeah it, it is a tricky one but it's one that will always be i think hovering around when elite sport is 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 involved
0: do you also think that because gymnastics is one of the sports that's obviously weight is mm. an issue um obviously i was surprised to hear a male gymnast say that he was talked about his way, but I think on this, I had a spoke to one of the for former rows who's a full-time Olympian and we didn't bring it up, but obviously I discussed with him off air and I'll bring it into the show mm. uh, for this one because it needs to be said. If a coach deems you to be overweight, that's going yeah. to impact on what you said, performance.
1: See, this is the thing. So it's a tricky one. Now, I get told... I've been told a hundred times that I'm too skinny. Right. And I've, I never took offense to that. I know I'm skinny. I know that's something that's part of my lockdown goal was to put a bit of size on, um, you know, naturally after, after my treatment plan, I had no muscle mass. So of course I'm going to be really skinny. Now that's the question. What's the difference between being fat and skinny? Is it not the same? Um, like this is where society I think is, is tricky and as has a bit of an issue is you can say someone's too skinny, but you can't say someone's too fat. But you can say someone's too tall, but you can't say someone's too short. And it's, say, it's like, why, where's, what's the difference? Why can someone say to me, you're, a, you're super really, really skinny, but I can't say to him, you're really, really fat? So it's because one's deemed defensive. Um, so for me, like, I've had every coach I've ever played for, especially when my return has said, you're, you're skinny, put some size on. And I, didn't, I said, oh, yeah, I know. Like, I was like, I understand. I am skinny it's affecting my point if I got to put a bit of size on I'd be I'd be a lot better I'd be you know I'd be more competitively as, as good as I can get and they're not they're not saying that to me to be horrible they're saying that to me because they see potential and they say to get to the the top you need to be this weight, you need to be that size and I don't see in my eyes I think if you're too fat as well, well that's also going to be a hindrance so what's wrong with saying lose a bit of weight to get to your ideal weight to perform so for me i i don't i think if you're going to take offense to being fat then then fair enough that's on you but at the same time it happens both ways like it's not because they're fat it's because i the coach might want the best out of them you know what i mean
0: well i agree with you in that that sentiment so i think sports probably jumping on the bandwagon in a society now which is probably wrong And I think we're both entitled to our opinion because ultimately it's lived in a bubble for so long that it's probably trying to come under the scrutiny of society based on Black Lives Matter, um, bullying, um, cycling had their issue with bullying a few years ago. I think because of obviously all the animosity that's going around the world. I'm not surprised so that it's, it's come out. Yeah. Uh, obviously I said this on the previous show with,
1: um, God, the name's completely gone. <laughs> <laughs> It'll come back to me. Yeah. Um,
0: based on that and my experiences, I've probably been on, on the receiving end of, and the coach actually spoke to teammates. Am I yeah. going too far? With how I'm treating James, yeah, I'd say the complete opposite. I'm very much like you. It's
1: yeah.
0: at the end. Did they get the best out of me? Yes. Did I get to to my first games? Yes. Ultimately, yeah. I'm happy. Yes, yeah. it's probably a fine line between what is deemed as you know red line in it uh, um, yes, and an outright bullying. Like it, yeah. But ultimately, like we've said all along, elite sport is a business if you're not yeah. deemed good enough you'll you you'll you'll get you you'll you're shown the door so yeah. and i think obviously everybody coming in in the first instance is very naive if they don't know, if they don't think it is a business uh yeah. ultimately, ultimately i think my early days to, Which is almost now 20 years ago, which is a long time ago. (laughs) Uh, I was surprised to oh, I get to do something I love and I get paid to do it. It's like, okay, I like like this, and that's probably where it evolved to towards the end of my back end of my career. It was too much of a business because ultimately I was more looking over my shoulder in terms of am I going to be dropped Uh, if I don't get over? and, And I've never actually told this about anybody about this, but. I was very apprehensive of even going to London because I couldn't, I couldn't shift an injury for so long. So I thought if I don't, if I can't get over this, I'm not going to be selected. Yeah. What infuriated me after it, when we had our debrief, oh, I picked my team a year ago. It's like, cheers. Yeah. It'd be nice to know that, but I know where you're coming from based on, I obviously didn't say this, but it's subconsciously and subliminally inside my head. Uh, you're not going to tell people because obviously you want to push themselves to to be able the best yeah. version of them themselves. But it would have been nice to be given the courtesy. or oh, well, based on where I see the team, these are the, 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 the who I picked. I I picked back in 2011. So it's like, well,
1: yeah,
0: okay. That's, but that's part and part of part. That's part and yeah. part of put, sport, sport. Sport. It's dangling that carrot. Okay. We, I want a little bit more of you, Alice. I want a little bit more of you, James. And you want this carrot. You're going to have to come and get it.
1: Yes. It's the same thing. It's like you, like you said, you had an injury and you were judged partly on, on an injury. Like a coach will see someone with a dodgy knee and be like, that might be a problem. Do you know what I mean? The likewise, if if you're overweight or underweight or too short or too, too tall, like it's, that's, it's the same in basketball. Basketball is a classic example. Like if you've got the same player, and they're both as good as each other, both same athleticism, same everything, but one's four inches taller. You're probably going to pick the the taller one because it's going to benefit your sport and it's going to benefit him in basketball. Likewise, if you're a jockey and you're exactly the same, you know, you're going to pick the short one. It's natural. So it it then becomes a thing of that. If you're slightly smaller, you're hindrance or you're too thin or you're too fat. You have to figure out a different way in your game to, to sort of correct that issue. So if you're really small, you can be super, super quick or really you can jump high. Or likewise, if you're, if you're like, I'm a bit skinny, so I have to adjust my game a little bit because I can't physically outmuscle other opponents. So that you know, there is things with that, but I don't think. I mean, I think a coach is very entitled to comment on someone's uh, you know physical stature as long as it's performance based. If they're just saying it because they're being mean, then that's different. That's a different issue entirely. But if it's if they've got a reason as to say, I know you do an X, Y, and Z. You losing, gaining, you know, anything that can be affected will affect your performance.
0: Well, you, then go then, set, yeah. you can go a step further than that. This yeah. is now going to put trust into, into the equation. Cause yeah. now that it's been brought into the mainstream. Yeah. The coaches yeah. don't yeah. trust athletes as much and vice oh, versa. Yeah. So that communication is now become a barrier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so, like social so that's gonna, that's gonna have a, a, an impact on performance. Cause if you don't trust the other individual.
1: 100%. Yeah. You're
0: not, you're, you're not, you're not fully committed. Yeah. And same,
1: with, same with social media and everything coming in. It's like one, that's, that's, you know, it, it, it exposes a lot. And two, it's like it, it, it brings society and professional sport a bit closer together because society can have more of a say. Like someone that doesn't have the mentality I have. Can have their very right opinion on a professional athlete's experience, which again is it could could then make that athlete think differently about it. So for something like fifteen years ago, someone got told that too fat, probably didn't think twice about it and just left it. Let it. Go. This probably happens a lot. Like in fact, this won't be the first time that someone's had some sort of issue with a coach. Um, but because society and, and it's gone all over Twitter or, or Facebook or whatever, I think it's become more of an issue because everyone's that doesn't necessarily understand the competitiveness and the, and the, and the, the challenges that elite sport have will have a different opinion to say, I do. I would have a different opinion because I understand kind of where that coach and that athlete, that relationship is coming from where someone that's never been in that environment before, I don't think will ever have, will be able to understand quite the, the, as the same as I would, if that makes sense. Cause I've had those same, co- those same conversations and I didn't even think twice. I understood.
0: Well, it's, it's a difficult one because ultimately what is discussed behind closed doors, you should stay or, or, or within uh, the confines of that sport. Yeah. Normally didn't see the light of day. Uh, it comes back to my point with the trust. Yeah. Um, it, it's going to be probably very difficult to co- for, for coaches to trust, athletes that, you know, that conversation I've had with you. Mm-hmm. Is it going to now go on social media after the fact? Yeah. Because of you've not been, uh, you've got to obviously tread lightly with Generation Z, because mm. obviously I'm not going to generalize it. Some obviously get their hurt, their feelings hurt, because they're not maybe, well, yours gen- generation before that, but you're not as thick-skinned, maybe not being brought up with as much resiliency because of generational things that you, your family has seen. My family been World War Two, so I think I'm yeah. probably thick-skinned because... You were taught, they were taught back in those days yeah. to internalize their feelings. You get along with And I've had to evolve that way to, okay, it's all right to, to feel a certain way and to be okay with frustration, sadness. Yeah. And cause ultimately we're not robots. And I think, yeah. uh, I think on the other hand as well with the athletes, we're not, we're not robots that we mm. can perform at the yeah. same, that's the same, uh, perspective of entertainment on on every day we're gonna have our good and bad days like everybody else and i think social media is allowed Mm. more you because i've retired uh to be able to express yourself good bad or indifferent and people get to see the human aspect to the athlete versus well got got gone the era of i want to see you but i don't want to hear what you have to say uh you, you, you 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 Operate in that field. I don't want to know what happens outside of it. And then, obviously, the the point that I'm making with this, and this is a conversation I had with a sports psychologist a few couple of weeks ago, of the Alan Alan Iverson what uh, comment you know that went viral. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're talking about practice,
1: practice. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. but what I even I didn't know this he lost his friend the day before. So it gives a different perspective mm-hmm. and different connotation to that video clip now, because yeah. ultimately people will jump on the buying wagon that you show up for games, but you don't care about practice, but yeah. be it now that you've lost somebody that was close to you. And we're talking that about practice, which yeah. is, is kind of is neither here, neither there in the context of life that's mm. this is really irrelevant now yeah,
1: it's a different conversation. yeah 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 100 percent. it's the same it that's that is like again social media has its benefits like yeah, back in those days you could have expressed it you know you could have made a statement it could have been a bit different but also i think going back to your point earlier i think if if the if social media's got such a toll you don't want coaches you know could it be seen put it on the other foot you don't want coaches not telling you something because they're concerned about the the backlash, like you don't want a coach hindering someone's performance because they don't want it to have seemed and deemed as they're horrible. Like you put it, there is a very fine line. As you know, if he says that to someone else, they might take it on the chin. As he says it to you, it's a different story. So it's like, you know, I would say I wouldn't want my coach feeling pressured to of what they're going to tell me. I want him to be just completely honest. I want to know the, the truth, everything, whether it's harsh, whether I'm going to get hurt by it. I don't care. I want to know the truth of what's going to make me better. And you don't want. Coaches being worrying about how they're going to address a team. You don't want, you know, some coaches are quite, you know, especially in basketball, they're quite aggra- not aggressive, but they're like shouty and they're they're loud. And now with video, like people, if people are filming that, that might be taken the wrong way. But to us, that's just getting the best out of us and the best out of his players. So you know, it's a different world, and I just think I I think people should understand a little bit within reason that you know. You, uh, I can take, I would, I would take all that on the chin. Someone can shout at me and tell me, cause I just know deep down, they've just got my best interests at heart, really. It's not a perfect. I, first, I think
0: it I could go a step further than that, Alice, be it the athlete either has to com- compartmentalize better or has yeah. to acquire that skill because ultimately athletes will talk about, you know, crossing the white line, then they become a different person. Yeah. Uh, Obviously, maybe the the current crop of athletes need to maybe reinvent themselves and acquire that skill. Obviously, they're not losing a a a sense of themselves because I I assume basketball is not your identity. Sport Mm. for all the sports I've done is not my identity. Obviously, the ones that have that problem when obviously they leave a sport and they have to refine themselves, that's difficult because they've got. So so totally obsessed with that game that they don't really? know anything it's more. Yeah. Fo- football will be probably the the, the one good for that argument because they, that's all they've ever known.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah, but it's not. It's It's not. This sport does not define you. Uh, ultimately, yeah. uh I play basketball now, obviously with the wheelchair get version of the game. People ask me, "Do you miss the game?" No obviously you you you're the other side of the other of other of, of the pendulum uh, that you are but i may probably be able to 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 um separate myself from the sport because ultimately what we real really all miss is the people and the obviously yeah. having a proper conversation proper game uh Testing ourselves against that, those individuals—that's what we miss. We miss the social interaction.
1: Yeah, uh, uh, yeah. And, uh, So, it's, so, it's,
0: so it's giving the people. Well, you need to compartmentalize between you as the athlete and you outside of sport, but it's still the same person, and you're able to take criticism because ultimately, that what it is—positive criticism at the end of the day. Yeah. Because, like you say, it's, it's coming back to making you better. And you obviously gotta take the ego away because that's what's probably um stopping you taking it on the chin and cause so coaches would say to me back in the day, which James is gonna turn up. I never took that offensively. Uh. It, it, it's a point. It's like, well, that's a good question. Don't know. Which is for me to probably be a little bit better as to well what which Area of stimulus? Do I need to get into to get the yeah. best out of myself? Then get, they know, I know what how to you do need. Now.
1: Yeah, that normally the coaches have been there, done that, and they know what is required to to get. Oh, them. loads of
0: coach knows how to push push my yeah. buttons. Uh, yeah. uh, obviously with basketball now, my head coach has been there and done it as well. So he said to me point blank, "I can push your buttons Jim, because you you're you're not going to push back. You've been you've yeah. been at the highest." end the sports like I have I know you mentally can take it yeah should I should I should I have to to take some of those things yes no maybe Depend, depends I on, depends that's, that's on where good, you're at I think emotionally
1: that's a very good point as well is the fact that when I think a lot of these conversations get sprung up about is because your role in a team, especially in team sports, is different. So, you know, I've been in hundreds of teams over over, over my career, uh, career so far, and it's some teams I'm the I'm the I'm the you know almost the star player, the role player, the the main guy, and in other teams I'm I've been the bottom of the crop. And now with those two different roles, is your one your expectations of what you bring is different, and two how the coach can interact with you changes. So one they will call you out for things that they might not call out the the, the lesser players for because they are trying to set an example and they're trying to use you because they know you're at a certain level you can take it and all that kind of stuff so they use you to almost have a go at someone else I've had that before um, as well as you know they might also come to you for advice in certain situations you know they might say what do you think about xyz um, which they wouldn't do with the so it comes with both the pros and cons of that that elite sport so I think people a lot of people don't understand that if you're the best in your team, you will be treated differently, both good and bad, because they're trying to bring, use you to bring the best out of their team, both on and off the court. So that might be them shouting at you for not touching a line when you know the whole team has not touched a line, for instance, or something petty and small, um, but because they're using you to, to, to call out the whole squad. And which some people might say is unfair, but I think that's just part and parcel of being the captain, being the star player, being, you've got to lead by example to get the best out of your team. You have to hold people accountable. Um, well,
0: I think it also creates the culture. It's a culture yeah, exactly. of uh, the coach doesn't have to, do, the culture then, then doesn't have to do it. It'll yeah. play it. And I've seen that with, with our, with our club, how it's evolved. We players will call out each other now, not the coach't yeah. does have to say anything Actually, yeah. It's like this is not acceptable because obviously you wouldn't do you you wouldn't do that in a game you're not doing yeah. it in practice,
1: yeah, I feel like people would be I would love for like normal um people that aren't involved in sport to come and watch one of our practices or anything like that because you to, they wouldn't understand how like heated it gets, how competitive it gets like we get people. Almost wanting to sort of square up to each other because they're going at each other so hard in practice. But then as soon as the as soon as the whistle goes and practice over, high five, shake hands, cool. Let's go out. Let's go get mootlet, Let's go get some food or whatever. You know what I mean? So for us, it's literally what happens on the court stays in the court. On the court, I could be on the opposite team to my best mate, and I will go at him. I'll almost hate him for those five minutes, ten minutes. But as soon as it's done, cool. We're good to go. We're fine. We should. I think that's what's good about us. Because there's no grudges. You understand? We're competing. We will, we will go at each other, go into each other, you know, fight each other on the court almost. And then as soon as it's done, we're back to normal. It's the same with opponents. Like, like when I was ill, I had my opponents texting me saying, I hope you're okay. Like get well. Like, you know, and I played them two days ago. We beat them and then they're, they're saying, oh, I wish you all the best. You know what I mean? So there's no, you know, there's a, there's a sort of mutual respect in, in basketball. And I think that's what other sports and, and people need to, you know, sort of see almost because it's, it's actually, even I'm like, bloody hell, we'll be going at each other that hard and we hate each other. You did some dirty moves and then afterwards, oh, we're friends again. I'm living with you, you know what I mean? It's, it's a really weird environment that's not many people I don't think would understand unless you see it. Well, I think and, it's and the, common,
0: the it. common goal in terms of, you know, the the trajectory, the target, the outcomes, the whatever you want to call it. Everybody's got the common yeah. aim as everyone's, I want to get, everybody wants to get, get the same all. place.
1: Yeah, yeah. That's 100%. Like, we're trying to bit, bring the best out of each other to get the, the win, get the title. We're focusing on the weekend. A lot of the time, we will pretend to be someone else and the other opposing team to scout them. And, yeah, you go at each other and make each other better. That's part of part of a team sport, I think. And, but I think that could be seen as almost, I wouldn't say bullying, but, you know, it, people wouldn't like it. You know, if you sure if my parents came and watched, they would hate to see how hard we go at each other. Do you know what I mean? It's like, it's quite intense. Um, but, yeah, it's... It's hard to realise. You see, you see, you turn up on a Saturday and and you see everyone compete, but you don't understand the work and the the week that's gone into that performance.
0: Well, I think it's the willingness to uh, to give. Because uh, I know people that, that don't do sport themselves that do listen to the show. I think it's. I think I talk about I talk a good game when I go on other shows about you know being comfortable, being uncomfortable. But I think for the athlete themselves with it with are there thereabouts most of the time anyway it's, it's yeah
1: you always it's, mean, a, give,
0: it's a given I, I i'm gonna go i have to go into the uncomfortable because that's how i improve
1: yeah you literally is as as an athlete you like you said is you hit it on the head you have to put yourself in, in positions that you haven't been in before whether that be a small change or a big change like you have to adapt and you have to be more versatile otherwise you get you get left behind almost so from for me I'm constantly especially when I was coming back to sport I was in an uncomfortable position 90% of the time I was playing basketball because was something new coming at me all the time and you have to just adapt you have to be resilient and push through um, you know and that's almost like a mini bit of mini adversity you know something happens and you then have to get over that and get through it and learn from it you know whether it be lifting weights whether it be losing winning you know, you've got to keep a, a level head and not get too up, not get too down and, and push through.
0: Obviously, I now we're, I think one minute, one minute, one hour 20 of the show. And I don't want to take too, too much of your day oh, away. The in the world. <laughs> uh, my, my penultimate question for you then is if you had to sit down with any athlete or coach for that matter, dead or alive, who would that be? And Why?
1: <laughs> one athlete. Uh there's a few. There's a few, but I'm gonna have to say Michael Jordan, probably. I know that's probably a pretty common answer, but partly because of my sport. Another one would be like Roger Federer or someone on those lines because they're very similar. It's you know, watching the last dance, I'm sure everyone's seen it, everyone's loved that. But you see, and This actually links with the bullying, to be fair. You you see how horrible Michael Jordan is to his teammates. Um, he is, you know, on the court, he's saying all sorts of, of rubbish to him. He's calling them out for mistakes. He's making them, you know, almost fight each other. And he's not doing that maliciously. He's not doing that because he hates that player. He's doing that because he knows for him to win, he needs his teammates to be at a certain level. And to get the best out of your teammates is making them uncomfortable. And by putting, by saying, what they're doing wrong, telling them what they're doing, but you also compliments them for doing something right. He he does both, and you notice all the elite athletes. They get Kobe Bryant was exactly the same. You watch things at like him. He would he would talk the most rubbish to you on the court. He would do it to his teammates. He it to everyone. And they all do it, and that's because they know what it takes to get to the top. They know how brutal and how harsh the industry is, and uh, and what it takes to get the best out of players. Now you watched that last dance thing, and. I know loads of people have said, oh, Michael Jordan was this, this and this. He was actually horrible, which yeah, he looks it. He he came across quite harsh and quite horrible, but actually he didn't mean none of it personally. That was not a personal dig at anyone. It was a case of, I need him to be the best. And this is how I'm going to get the best out of him. Um, And that's the sort of, you know, that's the elite sport for you. And that was a, he hit the nail on the head is a great example of what, what our practices are like, what his are like, you know, you saw how hard they went at each other and, You know they're the best. There's a reason why they're the best basketball players in the world. On that on that documentary is because that's the mentality they all have to get to the NBA. You've got to have that brutal mentality, and that's you know they they all pass and pass with that. And Michael Jordan just happens to be the most brutal, and that's why he's so ruthless on the court because he just goes out and gets what he wants almost. You know what I mean? He he fights for it. He just doesn't stop, and that's what I think it takes. Like I, even I don't have that brutal of a mentality, and that's why I will never get to the level Michael Jordan's at. That's part of it. You know, mindset is the most important part of sport. If you can get in someone's head, you can affect their basketball or affect their football or or whatever sport may be. So, and he was the best at it. Naturally, you walk into a court and you think he's the best. (laughs) You know what I mean?
0: And my last, my last question before we wrap up the episode is: if you had to summarize now. What we've been speaking about into one sentence for people to take away, what would that be?
1: One sentence there's oh, a few. Uh, one that I always live by really is, you know, everyone will face adversity at some point in your life. If they've not already, if not already had it or they will have it, you know, and actually no matter what level it may be, it might be a, as, as hard as cancer or, or death or something along those lines, or it might be something small like a failed test result or, or a loss of basketball but yeah so everyone will face adversity in their life but it's just how do you deal with it which is what defines you they're like do you let it become you and let the adversity become your personality your identity or do you overcome it and push through and remain ellis or or james or whoever you are so for me that's like almost like a little motto i live by don't let adversity define who you are make sure you are you and then adversity gets Comes and goes throughout your whole life. I've not, I'll have many more pieces of adversity come in my life. And I also have many up and, and joy point, points in my life as well. So it's just, you know, staying level, staying Ellis and then, uh, letting the good and the bad come come and go as, as, as I move through life. You know what I mean? As deep as that sounds.
0: <laughs> so once again, Ellis, thanks again for coming on the Mindset Athlete podcast. Well, the,
1: pleasure been,
0: the pleasure has been all my, all mine. In it. If you like this episode please do share it with your friends and do let ellis and i know what you thought of the episode by tagging us over on instagram at ellis haggis so that's e l l i s h a double g i t h and as usual at james o or roberts 11 and again i'll spell that out for you that's j a m e s the letter o r o b e RTS and the number 11 and again you can do the same on Twitter and Facebook and in addition if you had any follow up question, don't hesitate to shoot them over as well and finally don't forget to check his Instagram out and I'll say that again it's Ellis Haggis so that's E-L-L-I-S-H-A-G-G-I-T-H and as always do check out my free content at Fit Amputee. Dot co. UK and click on the tab resources. But not forgetting, I've also started a new Facebook group and no longer new, especially for the podcast, which you can find by typing in the mindset athlete. And last but not least, and not forgetting, I've also rebranded my other Facebook group to AIM 24 7 fat loss support group. So come check that out and join the AIM tribe. The links will be in the description. You can find all the show notes at mindsetgame.lipson.com under the category general. So once again, thanks for listening, and I'll catch you next week for another episode of the Mindset Athlete Podcast.